Welcome to the Operate Intelligently podcast, the podcast for all things operations. Hello, Operate Intelligently listeners. This is Joshua Peach, your host. And this morning, I am excited to be talking all things H2O uh, with a new friend, uh, Erica Walker from 120 Water. Hi, Erica. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Joshua. Thanks for having me. Well, happy to have you. This is uh, this is an interesting one. Uh, <laughs> I got I, I had uh, Linda, who works with you guys, reach out to me last week and say, you need to have Erica on the podcast uh, because there's a lot going on in the water world with these buildings that are unoccupied or, or low occupied uh, that people need to be aware of and make sure that we're doing what we're supposed to do. So l- let's start out. Who are you? What do you do? And and what talk a little bit about what you do with, with relation to water. And then we'll dig into kind of the COVID situation. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, thanks for having me. And actually, the, the only regret I have is that we can't be in person. I think I listened to your first, I listened to your first COVID episode and you got some people together in cars, I think. Yeah, we were at a target parking lot. Yeah, yeah, that was a good one. The sound yeah, wasn't, have... wasn't perfect because we were using just cell, cell uh, coverage. We couldn't pick up the Wi-Fi at Target. But yeah, that was the uh, the initial social distancing with uh, Dr. Dr. Marcus and Kenny Wirtz. Yeah, that was a good one. Yeah, you, you really have something there. I don't know if you've seen or listened to uh, Jerry Seinfeld's uh, riding in cars with comedians drinking coffee. Yeah, I so, you know so, I haven't gotten into it yet. I've, I've, I've you're the, like the second person in the last week that told me I need to watch it, so I, I need to get get on that. Well, what I'm saying is it could be you know talking uh, <laughs> talking in cars with operations professionals yeah. during COVID in target in target <laughs> parking lots. Got to give Target a plug. I mean, that's a uh, they're doing they're doing great work. All those guys and girls over there uh, sure, putting, exactly. in, putting in the hours. Yes, but anyway, I, I digress. Thanks for having me. Um, yes, I'm I'm the director of environmental policy and programs, um, the official water nerd, or one one of many. I'm in good company at 120 Water, and I'll talk about that in a minute. So my background, um, I'm from a, I'm from a rural uh, farming community. Grew up around nature, um, river in my backyard, uh, hiking all the time with my parents, and so um, I'd always loved that. And, and, and science courses, um, I ended up sort of after taking a winding path um, post high school, playing a little music with my friends and touring around a bit. I, I then you know, sat down and thought about what I wanted to do and, and remembered um, how much I love sort of science and, and nature and ended up studying environmental science and policy um, at IU Bloomington, which is where I live. I'm in South Central Indiana now. Um, and in my career, um, I've been mostly in the public space. So I've worked for water utilities on drinking water protection, um, public agencies, uh, the EPA uh, for a short stint in, in college, and um, the Indiana Finance Authority, which is sort of like an environmental uh, bank for mm-hmm. drinking and wastewater plants. They fund all the infrastructure improvements that states do around the country. And actually, um, like so many people in the drinking water space, uh, after Flint happened, I sort of got pulled into lead. Mm-hmm. And at that time, uh, the agency was offering free water testing to all public schools in the state of Indiana for, for lead. And so I helped run that program and 
And my particular role actually was when, when the data would come in, I would review it and I would get on the phone with facility managers at um, public school districts. And we would talk about what the results meant and really practically what can they do in the short term to protect public health? How can they get lead out, out of their facilities? Um, and as I was sort of looking at what would be next, um, 120 Water, the company that I work for now, they built a software platform that the state used to operate that big project and program. And I still really care about you know, the issue of, of water quality, um, lead and other issues like PFAS um, and Legionella. And so I felt like I could make a big impact um, at this company. And you know, we are a, a software company, a cloud-based software company. Um, we run out of uh, Zionsville, Indiana. We're in 15 states today. And what we're really trying to do is we're helping people who are monitoring water quality in their buildings, in their cities, and in their states manage that data, collaborate with one another, um, coordinate between lab entities, and then do something with those results. Um, mm -hmm. For instance, and we'll probably talk about this, but um, facility professionals, especially operations staff, have a million things to do. And when it comes to things like lead testing or PFAS testing, um, you know, this is a project. They're constantly putting out fires, they're constantly doing other things. And so, being able to take those results and make it actionable, being able to communicate it back, we feel that that's really just as important as doing the testing work itself. And so, you know, our products are all sort of about managing that entire process. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And uh, I, I think I told you when we did the, the exploratory call, I was in the water, the spring water business, spring water delivery business. Right. Um, and the big, the big buzz back in the mid nineties, early two thousands was cryptosporidium in water, which is a, the bacteria right. that you don't hear about too often anymore, because I think, uh, the, the filtering and the chlorine or whatever you put in the, whatever's put in the water is, is getting rid of it. But the, the lead and the PFAS stuff is, is definitely very scary. And it's eye opening when things like Flint happen, that's just so widespread and right. such an impact that's normal during normal business hours that this stuff is happening. Um, the interest for me with you was um, because I didn't even think about this, the, the last seven weeks, uh, COVID has gotten me to think about a million different moving pieces or non-moving pieces in these buildings yeah. that we've never had to think about. And one of the things that I didn't think about is water isn't flowing. So the mm -hmm. pipes aren't, you know, there isn't a lot of activity in those. There's not toilets being flushed. There's not sinks being run. There's not water fountains being filled, you know, with bottles, um, and I didn't think that there was much of a risk to it other than water is just sitting and it might come out a little brown or discolored over time, which I think that, that that's a natural thing that happens. Correct me if I'm wrong, but there's risks involved and there's, there's things specifically that our facility professionals should be thinking about when they have a building that we're, we're going on month two of unoccupied and realistically now we're going into the summer, they're going to be going, you know, essentially March 16th to at least August 31st before there's any real occupancy of any level of, of regular use. Um, what are some of the risks or what are some of the things that they should be doing to prevent any of those risks from becoming something? Yeah, let's, let's talk about the risks first and then maybe some of the steps that people can take. You know, uh, 
you mentioned sort of, I like your way of framing it, that we almost have kind of an extended summer period mm -hmm. of dormancy in a lot of these buildings, especially when we think about, about schools. Um, mm -hmm. But really, you know, the two primary concerns we have are around kind of the loss of uh, disinfection effectiveness or power and then the corrosion of metals. You mentioned um, cryptosporidium, you know, uh, in our long history in, in the United States, we've really focused on disinfecting water. That's been the biggest emphasis in water treatment. And we've come kind of a long way since the era of the common cup, right? When we would actually literally all be sharing the same cup on a train or right. at a public well. And we were, we were transmitting diseases between each other. We then realized that, you know, within the actual drinking water itself, things like cryptosporidium can be transferred. And so we started disinfecting water. In, in buildings, it's kind of this next level thing. Um, if you are receiving water from a water utility, for example, that water utility is, has um, taken steps to disinfect with chlorine or UV or other things. And it, that disinfectant can lose effectiveness over time as it's interacting with organic matter in the water. So as that disinfectant residual um, decreases, then what you start to worry about are um, pathogens and bacterial growth happening inside of the actual pipes in the biofilms. So, you know, you worry about things like, have you heard about Legionella? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, right. So, so Legionella, that's probably one of the more well-known, at least, you know, it, it, at this, at this time, uh, risk factors for really any large building. We can be talking about schools or hotels or other things. Um, and so certainly as that disinfectant residual goes down, it can promote the growth of those things. So that's one, one sort of disinfectant risk. The other thing though is that um, at the same time, um, as that disinfectant is interacting with the water, it, it, it can produce what's called um, disinfectant byproduct, and that can build up in the water. Um, and as that interaction happens, as that stagnant water is sitting there and the disinfectant byproduct is building up, that really just in, in, increases risk, right? For when someone goes in and takes a drink of water, they might be exposed to what is a possible human um, carcinogen. So that's disinfection. On the corrosion side, we're really talking about um, water stagnation, increasing the corrosivity of water and pulling out heavy metals from the plumbing infrastructure itself. So that's what a school or another large building would own. Um, mm -hmm. We're talking about things like solder, possibly lead pipes. Um, so, uh, you know, those are, the, those are the two big risks. Curious about stimulus funding and how it could help your organization? Join our webinar, Stimulus Funding, What You Need to Know Now, on Wednesday, June 24th at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We'll help you navigate through this time with a lively panel discussion with industry experts to gain tips around what type of stimulus funding will likely become available, how you can prepare to submit your organization for funding opportunities, and how to use your operations data to make the biggest impact with funds. Register via the link in the show notes. In terms of what facilities can do, you know, number of steps they can take. The first I would say would be to develop a, a flushing plan 
And there are a number of great templates out there. I think the first I would point folks to um, is uh, a center called the Purdue uh, Center for Plumbing Safety. Mm-hmm. They've got a few templates out there that actually say, you know, if you have this type of infrastructure, the size, size of a building, you know, this is how you would set your team up to do flushing. That notion of pulling fresh water in, trying to flush the entire volume of the water in the building and pull maybe some of that, that um, lead material that has come into solution and, and that is sitting in the pipes out of the building and at the same time, bring fresh chlorinated water back into the system, right? Okay. So even before uh, people come back into the building, I think flushing, if done correctly, and this is, you know, this isn't as simple as just like turning on the tap for a couple seconds, right? You, mm-hmm. you, you actually have to have a plan in place and make sure you're moving the entire volume of that water. But doing that can actually... Um, decrease the likelihood that you'll have a loss of disinfection power and that you'll have a bunch of um, corroded metals sitting in, in, in the water. Okay. And just out of curiosity, you know, the, the stupid question, um, you know, pipes were made out of lead up until when, like how, like what were they still made with lead? Is there still like, is that the most prevalent yeah. use and, and you know, what's the, you know, cause I, I think about, you know, uh, there was a water main break and most people don't even think about that, but that's basically the breakdown of the metal pipe that carries the water, whether it's right. sewer or tap water and that, that there's something wrong. Um, what is that? What are people, what, what is in a typical municipal? Is there, is every town USA have lead pipes? Right. It's actually a really interesting question, not, not stupid or silly at all. It's one of the most important questions that we can ask about this issue. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, the, it's the six year anniversary of Flint, Michigan, the water crisis there, I think last week actually. Wow. And um, yeah, and there of course, you know, what we were talking about was were lead, they're called lead service lines and mm-hmm. um, you brought up Maine. So, a, a service line is basically the straw that connects a municipality's main to a person's house. It's the, it's the delivery mm-hmm. um, pipe for drinking water in a residential home. And we used to make those out of lead, as you said. Um, actually, about 200 years ago, most cities started putting them in the ground. And we didn't stop until the EPA uh, made us stop in 1988. Now, some cities stopped a lot earlier. Maybe they had plumbing codes that that prevented them from doing it. And some cities even passed laws. But like the city of Chicago, for example, they actually required that lead pipes be used for service lines until 1986. So it's not a Flint problem. The the issue of lead pipes is a problem in probably every large American city across the nation. Mm -hmm. Um, the, the, The nuance, I think, for facilities is... Uh, lead is a soft metal. It wasn't cheap. That's not why people picked it. It actually doesn't, um, it doesn't break down as easily as some of the other pipes. Um, and so, you know, you'd mentioned the main break. It was actually selected because it's nice, soft, malleable, um, and it's not as likely to leak. It's easy to move it around and, and hook it up to, to mains as, as mm-hmm. the infrastructure changed. So that's what made lead pipes, um, 
a preferable thing for especially small residential homes. In larger buildings, it is not a good, soft metals are not a good option for uh, transferring water from the main to the building. And so they're pretty, we think they're pretty uncommon in things like schools, mm -hmm. um, maybe residential daycares, unfortunately, but not schools. Where the lead is coming from in school facilities is largely inside the building. And you had asked, you know, is lead, is lead still permitted in plumbing materials? And the answer is actually, yes, it is. Um, the definition of lead free today is 0.25% uh, of the wetted surface can still be lead. And up until 2014, it was actually 8% was allowable. And that, that company could still call it lead free. Mm -hmm. So what that really means is we think that if your facility is um, older than 2014, you likely have some leaded plumbing materials in your facility. And whether or not you will find that, whether or not the lead will come out into drinking water that you're providing to people depends on the water quality, which is how we bring back in that COVID piece, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe the water that you are purchasing from your utility, it was, it was treated um, mm -hmm. and it wasn't corrosive. But the moment that the water chemistry changes like it did in Flint when they switched water sources, mm -hmm. then lead starts to come out in drinking water. So it's sort of, um, it, it, it can be in the street in lead service lines, it can be in the facility, and whether or not it comes out is a real unknown and dependent upon the water chemistry in that particular building. Okay. One of the things that was, as you were talking, I'm kind of thinking through, and um, today, for whatever reason, in a number of areas in the country, um, I think that May the 4th was supposed to be kind of a reopen day originally. It was in Massachusetts where I am, but sure. they're pushing back, you know, they're pushing back the idea of reopening the, the economy and businesses and figuring out what's essential, non-essential, new listing. Uh, they've pushed it back to, I think, May 18th. But I know that today there's a number of states and a number of areas that are going back to having their staff in, in the buildings to do those long time summer projects and things. You know, let's let's do this. Let's let's talk about the two or three takeaways for our listeners to think about. What should they be doing right now? And then after that, I want to follow it with the two or three things that they should be doing ongoing post COVID to make sure that they're providing the best quality product, water for their consumers, customers, the students, what have you. Yeah. So I think right now, uh, certainly look into a flushing plan if you don't already have one. And that flushing really can, can start right now to sort of prevent your water quality from deteriorating before the, the doors open. And then certainly carry it on, I would say, at least once a week be flushing, um, even after people come back in the building. So a flushing plan would be really important. I think next would be, if you don't already have one, they're called uh, water management plans. And that's all about really the management of uh, bacterial and pathogen growth. They're specifically for Legionella, but again, there's free templates out there through the CDC and others. And it involves um, uh, mapping your an inventory of your building and monitoring for things like chlorine and, and temperature. But get that water management plan and your flushing plan in place now. And then the next thing I would say too is, um, while you're mapping, you know, an inventory of your uh, water infrastructure for your water management plan, um, do the same thing for metals testing if you haven't already done it. I think there's 
15 states that require it for schools now, but not everyone does. So go ahead and get that ready because if you haven't done baseline testing, you're, you're going to want to do that. Okay. Just out of curiosity, you know, I, when we open this up, we talk about the facility professionals having a million things on their plate. And the yes. assumption is that they, that they've got, you know, full handle on all of them and everybody's aware of it. Um, and they are, they're, they're widely aware of everything. How, 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 what do you think the percentage of people that you have an inter initial interaction with have a water management plan in place? Do they have one? Is it something that, that, that was developed 10 years ago and hasn't been readjusted or has the Flint awareness really driven more people to do more? Yeah, I think water management plans as a, as a thing in the water industry are specifically about Legionella. And I think mm -hmm. we actually need to bust that, that way of thinking apart and say it's about water management in a building. And that mm -hmm. includes things like metals and Legionella and PFAS and, and everything because we're dealing with really busy folks that don't have time to have these piecemeal projects thrown onto their plate. Um, but I, so I would say, you know, for a water management plan, if we're talking about Legionella, I think there's, there's definitely, um, a lack of awareness there. They're mm -hmm. required in a lot of healthcare facilities that provide water to either immunocompromised individuals or the elderly, because those people are most at risk to contract Legionella. Um, mm -hmm. Whereas lead, um, it's not good for anybody. It's not like iron or zinc, right? We need mm -hmm. those things. They're good for our health. Lead, no amount of lead is good for you, you or I, but we know it's really, really bad for children. Mm -hmm. And so there is a lot of awareness after Flint, not really about Legionella as much in, in schools, for example, but certainly about, about lead. Um, you know, like I said, there are uh, 15 states that already require it. So in all of those states, if you're a school in that state, you've heard about lead testing, you've probably already done it. Mm -hmm. um, but I think Legionella is maybe going to be along with PFAS, um, that's probably going to be sort of the next wave of testing concern. Do you want to touch on PFAS a little bit, just because it, like, as I shared with you, you know, my area where I, where I am, PFAS is front and center. It's something that's in our water, a public drinking supply. Um, right. And it's in a number of other places in the country. And I've had a couple of discussions with folks around the country that I know that it's there. Um, and it's not, a, it's not a topic of discussion yet. And you know, the importance that it should be is, is I think pretty, you know, getting ahead of it if you can, because um, there's a, there's a number of challenges with it, with, with um, filters, you know, filtration and uh, the different ways to remove it uh, are not necessarily in line with the filtration systems that are in some areas. So yeah. um, you mind educating a little bit on that? I know that's going outside of COVID, but it's not outside of your expertise. So might as well take advantage of it while, <laughs> while you're here. Talk, talk about all the things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, certainly, uh, we're still learning so much about PFAS and, and like lead, um, every state is sort of handling it, uh, in their own way and on their own as we await for a fed, really a federal strategy. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, I think our first emphasis really needs to be on certainly um, restricting the use of those things. I mean, those chemicals are still coming on the market, actually. There's 3,000 of them known mm -hmm. today, and they're still being produced. So 
that's happening. I mean, I think where we're at for facilities and for water quality is they're now receiving water that may contain it. And so then, like you said, when it comes to treatment, what do we do? Mm-hmm. I think it, you know, it certainly needs to start with testing. Um, and I would say just very practically, if you are a facility and you're near um, a military base, if you have, uh, if you're served by groundwater, for example, um, definitely uh, you should think about testing. You should reach out and see if testing is being done in your area. But just in general, we need to start getting some really good baseline testing across the country. Um, and, and in terms of the treatment, uh, certainly there's been a lot of good work being done um, about effective strategies for reducing PFAS. And, and those things are known. I think mm-hmm. what's not known is how widespread the contamination is in drinking water systems across the country. And that's known as the, what is it, the forever chemical, the forever, yeah, because once it's in you, it, it, it doesn't go away. Um, and you can have so much of it. I, I'm, I'm still reading up and learning myself about it, but it's potentially very bad for you, bottom line. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, once you start accumulating it, it's hard to get rid of. Yeah, yep. That's, that's the... Uh, when they said that once you have, once it comes into your system, it just stays and builds up. I said, I don't want any. So, uh, yeah, I'm getting the test and the, uh, the special filtration system. For I've got well water and it's always tested well, but I haven't done it in a while. And, but I'm definitely, uh, going to check it out for my home very soon. It's, 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 it's scary to think about all of this stuff when it wasn't very long ago that you didn't even hesitate to, turn a sink on in any town USA and just draw water out and drink it. And now there's, you know, a whole bunch of stuff out there. That's just not good for us. Uh, that's right. Coming out of that same, same tap. So uh, yeah. we definitely have to be more aware and, and uh, try to make sure other people are. So uh, yeah. wrapping up any closing thoughts, ideas, anything that we missed, um, and then if there isn't, uh, you know, how do people get a hold of you and what do you do as far as, you know, coming out to a school, you do, you provide them with the test kits and, 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 uh, programming to make sure they work through that. Give a little understanding of that. Yeah. Well, uh, closing thoughts, take care of yourselves, anyone listening, you and your families and your mental health and your staff, that's the most important thing. And then, you know, second, um, I I hope that you've learned a little bit about water quality and some steps that you can take now. And when, when the buildings is is opened up, please check out some of those resources that I, that I mentioned on, on flushing. Um, In terms of getting a hold of us, we got a website, 120 water audit. Um, Definitely reach out to me. If you have any questions, Erica at 120wateraudit.com. but yeah, what, what we provide uh, is, you know, a software tool to manage water quality in, in facilities. And attached with that, we also can provide water testing kits for things like lead. So, you know, if, if any of your listeners are interested in doing that work, then um, we might be a company that you want to check out. Very good. And you're on LinkedIn. Uh, they can follow you there, connect with you and check out your uh, activity because I did see that you have some uh, some posts on there about COVID and water management and water testing. So that's a good spot. I'm, I'm a big, big advocate of, of uh, LinkedIn. There's a lot of great content out there. So yeah. listen, this was, uh, this was great. Again, 
you know, you, you, you piqued my interest when, uh, when we were talking initially and I just said, wow, I didn't even think about, um, the damage or the, the challenge with unoccupied buildings to the drinking water system supply. And, uh, this was definitely eye opening for me. I'm sure it's going to be eye opening for a number of others. And like you said, the idea behind this is to put those million uh, moving pieces or non-moving pieces that our facility professionals have to take care of uh, yeah. and, and places front and center to make sure that they have all the needed information to make best possible decisions and, and plans to, uh, to get these buildings back open and occupied as safely, secure, securely, and as healthy as humanly possible. So really appreciate you taking the time here on this Monday morning. Uh, look forward to uh, following along with you and do, we'll stay in touch and make sure that uh, uh, we keep helping our, uh, our folks take care of others. That's right. Thanks, Joshua. Thank you. And that will do it for another episode of the Operate Intelligently podcast. We're going to keep pushing the, uh, the envelope with finding best practices related to COVID that, that tie into what could potentially be our, our new normal uh, and, and really try to help you guys. If there's any topics that you'd like to hear more about or have me find a professional that that can provide that i'm more than happy to do that we're actively working with a number of other uh exciting speakers and and uh professionals in the industry to help in any way possible to navigate this you know we call it unprecedented time and it is uh but it's also a time that we don't have policy and procedure and process in place uh, this is all new for all of us, so let's do it all together, and I uh, look forward to talking to you next week. Thanks for listening to the Operate Intelligently podcast, produced by Dude Solutions. You can reach us by emailing dspodcast at dudesolutions.com, or check us out on the web at dudesolutions.com.